please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 28. Our passage this morning, Luke chapter 18, verse 28 through chapter 19, verse 10. Beginning of that section can be found on page 1,629 of the Bibles and the Benches. Seeing that it will be a few weeks before we return to the Gospel of Luke after this message again. It's a good time to be reminded where we have come. Remember that in the first couple of chapters of Luke, we heard his record of the birth of the Lord Jesus and of his early life. And in chapter 3, we heard John the Baptizer, who was the preeminent, really the last Old Testament prophet, announcing the end of the Old Covenant and the coming of the New, announcing The coming of Jesus' kingdom in chapter 4, we saw that Jesus was driven into the desert and he resisted all temptation for us. He was obedient as the second Adam to the law of God. And then he himself in chapter 5 went into the temple and announced that his kingdom was here. He announced that he had brought the good news and that he was going to give a glimpse of the glorification which he was going to earn in life right when he was here. And then from chapters 5 through 9, we saw him doing that, going in and about Galilee, performing all kinds of bright and glorious miracles, fascinating things, the likes of which the creation had not seen since the fall of mankind, the likes of which we today have not seen, as he was raising the dead and healing the sick and bringing the outcasts to acceptance and satisfying people, giving us all a glimpse of the glorification that was coming. But I want to remind you that in Luke chapter 9, after that long series, chapters 5 through 9, of Jesus performing all of these bright and glorious miracles, there was a definite dramatic shift in the gospel. From all of the the great and glorious pronouncements of his kingdom and these wondrous miracles to Jesus taking on a very somber note. And let me just read to you a couple of verses from chapter 9. Just listen to them and remember the shift in the tone. He said, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. And then Luke writes a little bit later in that chapter, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus was going in and about Galilee, performing all of these glorious miracles. And then in chapter 9, Jesus stops and tells the disciples that he is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. And Luke says at that time, he set his face like flint, resolutely out for Jerusalem. And what we have been reading from chapter 9, at that section all the way through the end here, chapter 19 verse 10 is uh, what can be known, and we haven't mentioned this uh, before, I don't think, but as the travel narrative of Jesus heading out to Jerusalem to be crucified. He had been set out from that earlier point in his life to go to Jerusalem. That was his purpose. And today's passage, 
which closes off that section, that travel narrative in this gospel, is the summary and the climax of that whole section. What started out as a dark pronouncement of Jesus that he had to go to Jerusalem to go to the cross in order to enact in the world someday the fullness of what he had been displaying in the miracles he was performing in Galilee. That whole section culminates here. At the end of chapter 18, the beginning of verse uh, chapter 19, it summarizes all that came before it in those chapters. So if you hadn't been here, or you hadn't been paying attention at all, everything that was said is here. And we have the privilege uh, to hear it this morning. Beginning there at 18 verse 28, Peter said to Jesus, We have left all that we had to follow you. And I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock Him, insult Him, spit on Him, flog Him, and kill Him. And on the third day He will rise again. And the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what He was talking about. Now as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside and begging and when he heard the crowd going by he asked what was happening and they told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and he called out Jesus son of David have mercy on me and those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet but he shouted all the more son of David have mercy on me and Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him and when he came near Jesus asked him what do you want me to do for you Lord I want to see He replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. And Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of of Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Uh, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and friends, how about if I ask you, 
What do you want the Lord Jesus to do for you? Most people seem to have at least a passing interest in God, a passing interest in the Scripture, think that Jesus was a pretty significant figure. The two characters that we have in the story this morning were certainly no different. Here was this blind beggar on by the side of the road, and it wasn't for any particular reason of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into town, but it was all the hubbub of the crowd, really. He heard all the noise, the commotion, the gathering, and he asked out of curiosity, like anybody would ask, what's going on? Jesus of Nazareth is coming to town. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy and certainly was interested in the matters of Israel. And when Jesus was going through Jericho, the town that Zacchaeus lived in, he saw the crowds that were gathering. And it's not clear what Zacchaeus thought about Jesus at the time. Maybe he had heard some stories, maybe he had not. Probably he had heard less than the blind beggar, as we'll see later about Jesus. But he was curious, wasn't he? He wanted to see in there, 19 verse 3, who Jesus was. And he was short, so couldn't see over the crowd, so he had to climb a tree to see what was going on, didn't he? Most people tend to have a, a passing interest, at least in God, at least in the Lord Jesus. And the question, I'm sure that you have that passing interest, is what do you want Jesus to do for you? Now, if that question means anything to you, it means that you already sense that you have some kind of a need that you want Jesus to fill. Some kind of a need that you want Jesus to meet. Probably it's that you want Jesus to make you happy. I mean, you recognize your condition in the lost world and you realize that things don't always break the way that they should break, at least in a way that is not comfortable for you, you know that one day you are going to die and you sense that there is dissatisfaction in this life and that as good as things are going, they're not always as rosy as they should be. And so you want Jesus to make you happy. You're much like the blind man, right? He is blind and he wants to see. You are suffering and you want to be delivered. This man in the story is one who sits by the roadside begging. You understand that is a despicable life. He doesn't make as much money as the beggars today do. Some of them. But he really is left desolate. And he has nobody who will pay any attention to him. Except some may have a little bit of mercy and throw him some money. And he can't even see. He is sensing the frustration of this life. And he knows exactly what he wants from Jesus. He wants to see. He wants deliverance. He wants physical healing. He wants to be emotionally satisfied. He wants to be happy. He wants to have enough to provide for himself. He just wants to get along in the society. And you know what he feels like if you are asking Jesus to relieve you and to make you happy. But I should be quick to mention that maybe when you hear that question, what do you want Jesus to do for you, you don't have any answer to that question. You don't really care. Things are going along just fine, thank you very much. And I will remind you that we are all living in this fallen world in the same condition as this blind beggar. 
Now, you may be able to enjoy certain material comforts in your life. Maybe right now you have health greater, and youth maybe, greater than other people do that you are seeing sit around you or that you see walking out in the culture. Maybe you are maybe emotionally more stable than others. Maybe you have a steady job, you have a roof over your head, things are going fine, you have a loving family and friends. Maybe you have all of that, but you know that as part of the fallen human race, that all is going to run out someday. So don't deceive yourself and think that you're in a better condition, any of us, than this blind beggar who have the need for someone who is outside of us to come and relieve us from our dissatisfaction and our sicknesses and our diseases and our coming death and our frustrations. Maybe our loneliness. Whatever it is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? The blind man says that he wants to see. And what's interesting about Jesus is that he does not reject the idea that he came into the world to satisfy people and make them happy. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? He comes to people, in some cases, who have already died and raises them from the dead. He comes to people, as we've seen, who are suffering with sadness from the loss of someone that they love, raises them from the dead in order to give encouragement and hope and joy to the people who have lost their joy. He comes to people who are lonely and outcast and brings them into acceptance into the community of the family of God. He comes to people who can't see and he gives them sight. He comes to people who are sick and he heals them. And so this morning, I want your answer to be, without a shame, what I want Jesus to do for me is to make me happy and to satisfy me and to bring me into the place where I will not have to face any of the struggles that I face now. And I will not have to worry about death which is coming and illness and the breakdown of my body and cancer and heart disease and being left alone. Because in the fallen world, that's what faces all of us, doesn't it? And I don't want you to shy away from asking Jesus this morning for healing and full and final satisfaction And all of your heart's desires. He doesn't turn you away when you ask that question. But what we've seen over and over again. And what's summarized here at the end of this section. Is that Jesus will only answer you favorably. And make you happy and healthy and wealthy. He will only do that for you if you meet a certain condition. And we're going to talk about that condition in three parts in this story. In fact, I'll put it in the negative for us. Jesus will not do anything for you. Or, Jesus will do nothing for you. He will not make you happy and satisfy you. And heal you. Unless, three things. The first is, unless you have a deep conviction. A deep conviction of your own lost condition. 
You see, a lot of people turn to God. They turn to Jesus, supposedly, because they want help with the struggles and the frustrations that they have in life, whether it be they're having trouble making the bills, whether it be the breakdown that they have in their body, whether it be that they're facing death or they're facing loneliness. So they flee to Jesus and ask Him to help. But you see, when they do that, many of them do it without the first understanding that they have a deep need, their greatest need, really, is the forgiveness of their own sins because they are lost. So Jesus doesn't turn people away right out of hand who ask Him to make them happy and to satisfy them and to turn their lives for good and to heal them and to bless them. But He will only do that in the first place for people who have a deep conviction of their own sinfulness, of their own lost condition. Look at the character of the man, the blind beggar, first of all, who calls out to Jesus in verse 38 of chapter 18. He says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Look at that last expression, have mercy on me. Now why would somebody cry out to God for mercy? Well, somebody cries out to God for mercy because they know that even though God has the power and the ability to show him or her favor, that they don't deserve it. And then in order to receive anything from God, He will have to be merciful to them. Now, we saw that Jesus responded favorably to this blind man and gave him his sight. But you see... One of the reasons is because God had brought him to a conviction of his own sinfulness. Now, you know, it might be easy for somebody who is a blind beggar to complain against God and say, God, why did you make me like this? I have lived a miserable existence from my youth. I can never play with the kids like the other kids healthy growing up in the society. My parents abandoned me. Nobody made provision for me in this culture. I had to beg even to eat all the days of my life. It's your fault. And I demand that you act in my defense. Is that how the beggar approached God when he asked Jesus to make him happy? No, that's not how he approached him. He said, have mercy on me. Why? Because he understood his sinful condition. And that his struggles in this life, the things that made him dissatisfied and unhappy, if they were not even immediate consequences of his own sins, They were consequences of him being part of the fallen human race which had rebelled against God and that was not God's fault. It is not his fault that you suffer today. The fact that there is suffering and consequences of suffering in this world was brought on us by ourselves as the fallen human race. And we don't blame God for that, do we? Our struggles and our sufferings but we cry out to him have mercy on me why because I am part of this fallen human race which deserves not only what I have but worse but Lord please intervene you have the power to do so you see he has a deep conviction that he was lost that he was lost this is what Jesus said at the end here of this section, chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save what? What was lost. Now, of course, we know everybody is lost. 
But as Jesus has been saying all along to the Pharisees, I come to save those who are lost. In other words, those who I bring to a conviction that they actually are lost. Unlike the Pharisees, who think that when they suffer in this life, it's either God's fault or everybody else's fault, but it can't be theirs. They have no responsibility in sin and their suffering, because why? They're holy and righteous. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Listen, the only way I will answer you to make you happy and to satisfy you and to heal you, the only way is if you will acknowledge that you are lost and that you don't deserve any of this healing or satisfaction. And I want to tell you this morning, you know, Jesus does not reject your request to Him for happiness and satisfaction and blessedness in this life and in the life to come. He doesn't reject that, but what he says is, only if you have come to the conviction that you are lost and that you don't deserve it, and that your prayer will be like the prayer of the blind beggar, Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, verse 39, have mercy on me. You have to see yourself as the chief tax collector who was wealthy. This man was a public sinner, you see. This man was the most despicable of the tax collectors in the community. The ones who had sold themselves out against their own people to make it a profit off them. They would cut a contract with the Roman ruler of the region that he was supposed to collect a certain amount. So they would come back to their own people and they would charge them a higher amount and they would keep the difference. This is extortion. And if they didn't pay what they demanded, they would go back to the Roman leader and they would tell him to punish these people because they didn't pay their taxes, even though some of them would be willing to give the Roman government what the Roman government required. And not only that, but he took advantage of the other tax collectors most likely. He would put a premium price on them so that they would have to drive up the price even more to the locals. So that even if you might find a local tax collector who was a somewhat honest man, he would be forced to extort those under his rule so he would not be arrested by the Roman rulers, reported by the chief tax collector. I mean, this man was despicable. And that's how you have to see yourself. As we saw last week, beating your breasts, ashamed even to turn yourself toward heaven. How dare I would ask the Lord for favor, but Jesus have mercy on me. That's how we have to see ourselves or he will not answer us favorably. The second thing you have to see is that Jesus promises to save those who cry out to him. Some people have trouble with this, right? They see that they've come to a conviction of their own lost condition. And uh, they see their desperate need for the mercy of God. But to be honest with you, they don't really believe that Jesus can forgive them. They say, look, I'm just too miserable and wicked. My faith is just too weak. I struggle too much. There would be no way that God would ever look favorably down on somebody like me. And if that is your mentality, then Jesus will not make you happy. Why? Because it is very clear that He is not only a just God, but that He is a gracious God who saves those who cry out to Him. And we see that again in this passage, don't we? What does Jesus respond 
to the blind beggar who cries out, have mercy on me. Lord, I want to see. Jesus says to him in verse 42, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus praising God. And I challenge you to find anywhere in the scripture where a sinner has a deep conviction of his own lost condition. And a deep, con- a deep conviction of his desperate need for the mercy of God in Christ. And he cries out to God to forgive him. And God says, no. I challenge you to show me that. It's not in the scripture because that's not who God is. God is a God of mercy and he promises to save all those who call upon him. They say, oh, but my faith is weak and I don't know if I'm one of the chosen. And the scripture says to you and Jesus says to you, yes, your faith is weak. Call upon me, profess your weakness and your lack of faith and your sins and cry out to me and I will save you. Well, of course you doubt that you're one of the elect. You know why you doubt that? You doubt that because you're sinful. And your whole spiritual psychology is all confused. And it's detracting, distracting you from my mercy and my favor and my love. Cast your say, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, have mercy on me. I don't deserve it. And he never turns anyone away who calls on him. You see, you have to believe that promise. You have to believe that Christ will not turn you away when you cry out to him for the forgiveness of your sins and then for the happiness that he is able to give you, having restored you to the Father. come to a deep conviction of your own lost condition, you come to believe that Jesus is not lying when he says, cast yourself upon me and I will save you. Not all who come to me, I might save some of them, but all who come to me, I will deliver them up at the last day. And then also, in order to receive your happiness, and your satisfaction and your restoration and your healing in order to receive that relief that you want from Jesus you have to believe in the actual work that he did to make that a reality for you I want you to look at what Jesus told the disciples in verse 31 He said, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. They will be handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked and insulted and spit on and flogged and killed. And on the third day he will rise again. See, what you see is that you are in a desperately lost condition and that you deserve the eternal punishment of God for your sin even worse than the sufferings and the dissatisfaction and the sickness that you are enduring now but you see that the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to come and be merciful to you if you would just confess your sin and cry out to Him and you do that and you see what? That that is the whole reason that He went to the cross. That's the whole reason He came to the world in the first place was to go to the cross to suffer at the hands of wicked men. Why? So that He would receive in His body and soul the punishment that we deserve for our sin. You see that he is insulted and mocked and ridiculed and beaten wide to deliver us from what we deserve. The anger of the Father for our sin. 
ashamed for us, spit on Him for us. And then verse 33, on the third day, risen again, conquering death, coming out of the grave, receiving the glorified body, so that someday we will receive the glorified body too. That body that will never die and will never be diseased or sick or age or suffer ever. You see, you believe your lost condition. You believe that Jesus came to save sinners and that He will if you call upon Him. And He will because He did. He did. He suffered on the cross for your sins. He obeyed all of His life. And He came out of the grave to demonstrate that the Lord had accepted His sacrifice. And that He was righteous in our place. We don't have to wonder about that. And this morning, if you have any doubts that you belong to Christ because of your own sin, your own unbelief, your own struggling and your own suffering, I want you to remember that Christ suffered in your place and was punished completely for you already. And I want you to remember that the Lord accepted His sacrifice so that Jesus came out of the grave and you will bear the same glorified body that He bore someday. Because you believe in that work. You have acknowledged your own misery and cried out for mercy and He has answered you. And you don't doubt that when He promises to save you, He doesn't lie. I may lie, you may lie, you may be weak, you may suffer. But one person who doesn't lie is Christ. And if we humbly cast ourselves before Him and trust in His work alone... Him taking the punishment away. Him giving His obedience to us. Him being risen from the dead for us. And His power alone. Have mercy on me. He answers out of His power. You are saved and you are mine and I accept you. And you know what? I will make you happy. And I will satisfy you. And I will heal you. And I will bless you. And I will give you everything that your heart desires. Even more than your heart knows it right now. And you say, well, but that's not true, is it? I mean, I hate to say this, but there are people in our church family who are still blind. There are people in our church family who are suffering with terrible disease and dying. And if you live long enough, before the Lord Jesus Christ returns also, that is your lot too. There are people, I hate to say it, in our church family who are lonely and dissatisfied and frustrated and suffering not only the consequences of their own sins, but consequences of other people's sins, or just being part of the fallen human race in general. There are people in our church family who struggle to meet their bills. And these are people who have a deep conviction of their own lost condition, and a strong trust in the promise of Jesus that He will save them when they call upon Him humbly, and a strong conviction that Christ did the work of redemption for them, why are they still suffering? And does that disprove everything that we've said? Does he or doesn't he answer the question? 
I mean, he made the blind man see, but you know what? The blind man died someday. It's not part of the story, but he did. Well, look at verse 28 of chapter 18. Let's compound the problem. Peter says to him, We have left all we had to follow you. And then, uh, so you know in verse 29 here, Jesus is going to make reference to many of the things that the disciples did leave behind in following Jesus. Not many of us today have to leave behind, although sometimes it's true, some of us have to leave behind our families. But literally in that day, the disciples, when they were called by Jesus, would actually leave their homes to follow this rabbi. Uh, Some of the families may have gone. We're not sure. But clearly some uh, some of the families did not. They left life as they know it. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Well, what is he talking about? Will receive many times as much in this age. I mean, we understand that we talk about in the glorification, that's what we've been hearing about, in the life to come, that we will have been risen from the dead and we will have all of our sicknesses wiped away and we will be finally restored, right? No more temptation even. No more struggles or loneliness. All of that in the age to come, that eternal life which Jesus is talking about. But doesn't He say here that those who have lost things will receive many times as much in this age. That is, those who belong to Him should be receiving many times in this age blessings that will make up for what they are suffering through before they came to Christ or after they came to Christ. Well, the reason that's a problem in our minds is because we live in a sinful, fallen world and when we think about what is of value, uh, we use the world standard, you see, and we get tricked into thinking like the unbelieving world which measures what is of real value only by the world standards. Let me tell you what you as the people of God receive in this age that is more valuable than anything that you can see or feel out there in the world. What you receive now is what Zacchaeus talks about in chapter 19 verse 8. Look, Lord... Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Let me tell you what's of value. Look what the blind beggar has in verse 43. He followed Jesus, praising God. And let me tell you what the people had of value at the end of that verse. The people saw it and they also praised God. You see, we think that it must be in this age to have what is of true value, it must be what the world has, which is what? Supposed happiness and fulfillment and an abundance of material blessings and security. 
And is that of real and lasting value? Well, no, you know, that's something that we will have in the glorification and that is indeed promised to us in the age to come. But you have something now of value that nobody else has. You have your salvation and you have your sanctification. You have new life in Christ. You have the privilege of being like the tax collector who was saved who now says... I lay aside all of that disgusting and vile greed and filthy wealth which I achieved through dishonest means and I happily and joyfully sacrifice that and give that to you, O Lord. Think about the nature of this man's sacrifice. You know, the law itself, the Levitical law said that when you stole from somebody, the restitution amount, in most cases, was only about 20% more than what you stole. And here this man says, he's going to pay back four times the amount of the money that he has received from those whom he stole. And also, you see, he says he's going to give half of his possessions to the poor. Half? The law, again, required the rabbis by this time, we're talking about 20% as the basic amount that you would give to the Lord if you were, say, converted to Judaism. And you had acquired great wealth, you would give maybe 20%. And then you would give 20% continually of all the income you continue to have. And here this man says, I am going to give half of my riches to the poor, to the needy. And we see how the apostles used that money, didn't we? Planting churches and supporting the saints who were in need. And you say, well, what what kind of value is that? And that's the point, you see. That's the point. That's a great blessing in this age, isn't it? To be called to repentance and obedience, in this particular case, with our finances. But in more general terms, like with the blind beggar receiving his sight, then following Jesus and praising God, knowing the truth, being able to worship the Lord who has made us and saved us, being able to fight our sin and go forward in thankful obedience is a great privilege and is of high value no matter what the world says the world says that's worth worth nothing that's just silly and look at you people you don't even live up to your own profession anyway all you do is struggle and your church is full of hypocrites and what do we say? We say that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ and the glorification is coming which we will receive and we have received the rich blessing of service and repentance to Christ and love and service and repentance toward our neighbors. That is the great privilege of the people of God which we have. That is what is of great value. So, you know, don't, don't be deceived. Back to the beginning, I don't want you to think that Jesus promises that if you come to a true conviction of your sins, that He is going to make you happy and healthy and wealthy in this life. And in fact, in many cases, it's the opposite, isn't it? Because some of the duties that the Lord Jesus calls us to do, which actually are of great value, right? The world won't say it, but we see humble repentance, obedience, faithful worship, faithful giving going forward in thankful obedience in all of our ways that is of great value that is a blessing and a privilege that we have in the people of God sometimes doing that is not what doesn't make us happy and healthy and wealthy in fact it does the opposite doesn't it 
Like, are you completely thrilled every time you come to church? Are you just the first... I mean, you go to bed Saturday night and you can just taste being in worship the next morning? Well, sometimes... Maybe that's true, right? But sometimes you say, you know what? It's not as fulfilling emotionally for me as I expect it to be. And then you remind yourself, well, it's because I have the great privilege of coming to meet with the King who I desire to humbly worship for His glory and for His sake. And you say, man, i got to give that nice chunk out of my finances again and again and again for the support of the Kingdom of God. And I see the toys that other people have. And I see people getting wealthy. And I, you know, that's frustrating. But what should be our mentality? It's just a great value and a privilege. Because we have been redeemed by the King. And you say, well, my body is breaking down. And I'm dying. And I feel like the Lord has left me. And when we say that... We remind ourselves that He has not left us and He is working all things for our good and He will sustain us and one day He will raise us because He loves us. What do you want Jesus to do for you? It should be that you want Him to make you happy and to bless you and to satisfy you. And to get that, that He would forgive you from your sins and sanctify you more and more in this life and give you the true riches of obedience to Him and selflessness until the great day when you get it all. And to that, all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray.